welcome to this week's message from a new church. For more information, or if you'd like to contact us, please visit our website, newchurch.nz. Thanks for tuning in, and we hope you enjoy this message. I want to look at one of the promises of God. Um, and, you know, I hope that this will be a blessing to your life um, and will really encourage you today. So if you've got your Bible, you're in John, go to John sixteen thirty three. It'll be on the screen for the, the, um, those who didn't, didn't bring a Bible with them. But it says this, I have told you these things, this is Jesus talking, so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. That's the promise of God right there over your life. Standing on the promises of God, in this life I will have trouble. Praise God, hallelujah, amen. All right, I'm going to leave now. You can just, um, just like meditate on that for the next 15 minutes. I told the camera guys I was going to give them a workout. I'm just going to do a few laps, just prep them ready. <laughs> In this life, you will have trouble. How good is that? It's one of Jesus's promises to us. He, he, he's very clear. There's no way you can context this out and just be like, this is just for one disciple. This is for everybody. We're all included in this promise. But he's told us these things, and we're going to look at what some of these things are in a moment, in the hope that we may have peace. So the promise is trouble, and Jesus is saying, I, I, I hope you have some peace. I'm going to teach you some things to find peace in the middle of trouble. And so maybe your life looks really good today. That's fantastic. Maybe you, you feel like you're in the eye of a storm. But I can, I can promise you, because of Jesus' words, there will be trouble around the corner. <laughs> Who's feeling encouraged and excited today? So John's one of my favorite um, authors in Scripture. Um, I really care about the author um, because we believe as Christians in this idea of dual authorship. That, that, so like, the, the, the idea in Islam, this is just a little bit of Muslim history today, the idea in Islam is that uh, there is a tablet in heaven and um, the angel, angel Gabriel dictates what's on the, in the tablet in heaven to Muhammad and he writes it down, that's the Quran. That's how the Quran ends up. Um, and that, that's, that's what they believe. Um, and there's a whole bunch of different versions of um, inspiration, like uh, I think, was it... Um, What's the guy, the American guy who thought Jesus was, was from the USA, who, who found golden tablet? Joseph Smith. I was thinking Michael Smith, but I was like, no, he's a worship leader. <laughs> he found tab golden tablets. But what we believe about um, Scripture is that it is written with two authors. There is a human author and, and the divine author, the Holy Spirit. And so the Holy Spirit is influencing the human author, but the human author still has a will and intent. 
like the, the human author writing this down has something they're trying to communicate. They, they actually have a will that they're trying to communicate, and, and, but it is, um, it's the same will that the Holy Spirit is, has. So they, the Holy Spirit is inspiring their will to, to write. And so the reason looking at authors is so important for me is because, and, for, and should be for us, is because what the author's will was, what their intent was as they write scripture, is actually what the Holy Spirit is saying if we're trying to faithfully interpret the text. Now, if you're trying to not faithfully interpret scripture, that's fine. You don't need to worry about this. Um, I wouldn't recommend that. <laughs> that wouldn't be my the way I would go about it. And I, I, I want to make a distinction here between um, faithful interpretation and prophetic meanings. Like I've read scripture and God's spoken prophetically to me um, and, and, and about a situation in my life. But there's a difference between that. I'll give you an example. There's a, a verse in um, Isaiah that talks about stretching out tent pegs. Um, and, one, and we use this as a... Um, God spoke prophetically to um, a youth team that I was a part of many years ago about um, about this from this passage and and about it how we were going to expand youth ministry that we needed to to take some things that we were physically doing and move them so that we could make more room for, room for people. Now that's not what the Holy Spirit was actually saying when the Scripture was written. But he spoke to me through this, through this book. And so I, I wanted to give that so that you, you, you knew that there's still, like, God will still speak to you while you read Scripture. This is going to be the primary way God speaks to you. You will hear his voice and you'll feel his presence and you'll feel his leading. But the primary way the Holy Spirit will speak to you is through Scripture. Um, so John is writing his gospel a whole lot later than everybody else. Um, I would date John's letters. So this is John, the gospel of John, his first, second, and third John, and then Revelation. Um, from around earliest is the 60s through to the 90s in that kind of period. Everything else in, in the New Testament is completely written and in circulation um, at this point. And so when I'm reading John, I'm, uh, he's, he's writing at a point in time where he's defending Jesus to heretical Christians. That's one of his primary motives is he's, he's trying to show heretical Christians what Jesus was actually like. Because John is Jesus's cousin. He's, he's, he's grown up in Jesus's family. He knew him well. He was a close disciple. He, he describes himself as the disciple whom Jesus loved. He's got like a good self, you know, he's got good self-awareness. Um, he's also a little bit cocky. This is probably why I like him as well. He, you know, he like talks about the fact that he was the first one to get to the tomb when him and Peter were racing. He wants everyone to know that he's more agile. He's got better knees than Peter. Um, and so John has a specific idea, some specific things he's trying to do. And when you read his gospel, it reads a whole lot different to the, the, the other three gospels. The other three gospels have a pretty similar flow to them. They, they have very similar stories um, and they cover a lot of the same content. Uh, but John takes... A quite different approach 
um, to what, what Jesus uh, said and did in his life. Um, and so when, when we read John, we go, he's putting these things together. He's putting these stories. He's putting these testimonies. He's putting the, the different sayings that Jesus said. He's putting this together in a way to show me something about Jesus. Like that's what he's doing. He's trying to show me something about Jesus's character. Um, and it's quite interesting. So John 1 through 11 is very fast paced. John 1 to 2 is super fast paced. He goes from the beginning of creation. In the beginning, there was the Word and the Word was with God and the Word was God. He's, he goes from that quickly, you know, through the millennia into the um, just after the birth of Christ. And then he skips through and he's going testimony, 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 story, story, teaching, teaching. He's like cycling through all of this. And then at, at chapter 12, almost halfway through the, or just over halfway through his, his book, he slows right down. From chapter 12 onwards are the, is the last week of Jesus's life. And then it's got the little bit of you know, him restoring Peter and stuff like that afterwards. But he, he's, he's quickly sweeping through for the, fir- the first half of the book. He's quickly sweeping through um, a many different things that Jesus did. And then at verse 12, he slows right down. He, he, he pauses the story, he slows the speed down. And if, you, if you're a writer or you enjoy reading books, you know that when an author slows things right down, slows down the pace of a story, it's because this is, we're getting to the main thing. And, and his main thing, believe it or not, is Jesus' death and resurrection, because that's the main thing. Like that, that's the central point. And John's making it super clear to the heretical Christians at this point in time, you know, 30, 40 years after Christ's death, that, that it's, it wasn't his miracles, it wasn't his teaching, it wasn't those things. His death and resurrection were the main thing. And so I want to look at a passage in, um, in John 12 today. And um, this is where the story begins to slow. But I want to give you the context around it uh, because I want you to see what, what I saw this week as I was looking at it. I want you to see what John is showing us. Now, we've got some big chunks of Scripture we're going to read together today. So hold on to your horses. Grab onto your horse. Grab onto the horse's reins. Yeah, grab onto, grab, hold onto your horses. All right. And we're going to read this together. It's going to be up on the screen. Let's go. Many of the Jews, therefore, this is John eleven forty five. Many of the Jews, therefore, so Jesus has just raised Lazarus from the dead. That's what's just happened. I couldn't give you all of chapter 11. That would be too much reading for a Sunday morning. Many of the Jews, therefore, who had come with Mary and had seen what he did, talking about Lazarus uh, being raised from the dead, believed in him. But some of them went to the Pharisees and told them what Jesus had done. All those telltales being narcs. So the chief priests and the Pharisees gathered the council together and said, what are we to do? For this man performs many signs. If we let him go on like this, everyone will believe in him. And the Romans will come and take away both our place and our nation. But one of them said, Caiaphas, who was the high priest that year. See, that line's quite important. That shows us how late John's writing. The other gospel writers just say the high priest because Caiaphas was still the high priest. And so we read that and we go, oh, John's writing 
long after Caiaphas had finished as high priest. Just we side note. Caiaphas, who was the high priest that year, said to them, you know nothing at all. Amen. We could just read that verse out of context. You know nothing at all. Get off the stage. All right, next slide. Nor do you understand. We'll just read that line there as well. (laughs) That it is better for you that one man should die for the people, not that the whole nation should perish. He did not say this on his own accord, but being the high priest that year, he prophesied that Jesus would die for the nation. He's keeping the main point that it's, it's all around Jesus' death. And not for the nation only, but also for those who gather uh, into one, the children of God who are scattered abroad. Verse 53, so from that day on, they made plans to put him to death. So from that day on, there was plans to put him to death. Jesus, therefore, no longer walked openly among the Jews. So we've seen a shift happen in Jesus's ministry. Up until this point, he has been publicly preaching and prophesying, praying for the sick. And now there's this death threat on his life. And it says, Jesus, therefore, no longer walked openly among the Jews, but he went from there to a region near the wilderness to a town called Ephraim where he stayed with his disciples. Now the Passover of the Jews was at hand and many of them went up from the country to Jerusalem before the Passover to purify themselves. Amen. Why don't you stand your feet real quick? Just stretch up nice and high. Don't do spirit fingers, that that would be inappropriate. Now sit back down. There is a plot against Jesus's life. That's how this, you know how in in the Gospels in particular, every section has a wee title. That's what the, the, the people who translated the ESV decided to put as the title of this section. There is a plot to kill Jesus. And we see that in verse 53, so they made plans uh, to put him to death. Jesus therefore no longer walked openly among the Jews, but went from that region to into the wilderness. God puts Jesus in witness protection. Turn to the person next to you, say witness protection. Witness protection, baby. Jesus ends up in witness protection. Now we're going to, We're going to get to the passage soon. I want to read the section afterwards. This is the section after the passage we're about to read. It's John 12, 9 uh, 9 through 11. If we go to that. Hey, there we go. When the large crowd of Jews learned that Jesus was there, they came, remember there's a death threat on his life. They came not only on account of him, but also to see Lazarus, whom he had raised from the dead. So the chief priests made plans to put Lazarus to death as well, because on account of him, many of the Jews were going away and believing in Jesus. This guy needs to go into witness protection as well. There is a plot to kill Jesus, and there's a plot to kill Lazarus. And I want to look at what Jesus does in between. See, in this life, you will have trouble. There will be a plot on your life. There, there, there is somebody out to get you. In this life, you will have trouble. 
But Jesus shows us God's witness protection program. Jesus shows us what God's plan is to keep us safe, to give us peace in the middle. Now, I like witness protection. I think it's a good, I think it's a good idea. Um, I, I, I may or may not have spent a little bit of time on it myself. Um, I won't tell you about that. Uh, it, may, uh, it might be why I ended up here. They told me that I could, um, they told me I could go into witness, uh, I could go be a pastor in Northland or, um, or work the mines in, in, on the West Coast. So obviously I, I chose to suffer up here. Uh, that's why the second time that I preached, I said my name was Michelli, because that's what it actually is. Michelli is my real name. Um, I am Italian, maybe a part of the mafia, I can't tell you. I'm still under the witness protection program. I was, when I was picking between mines and, and um, being a pastor, I was trying to figure out what, well, what have I got skills for. And I, I, was in, I was in sales once upon a time, so I figured I could do ministry pretty well, just get up to the front and like sell, you know, sell this book. But um, I'm a big fan of witness protection. Just turn to the person next to you and say witness protection. God has a witness protection plan for your life. Because in this life, there will be trouble. Like, I don't know if you've been around the last few years. It seemed like it was a bit of trouble. Like, like that verse seems we're like, oh yeah, I get that now. Like, we, we, we went through what seemed like in, in Western civilization is like 50 years of basically nothing interesting happening. And all of a sudden, the whole world got locked down. Things went crazy. There, there's a war in in Ukraine, this is the first major war in Europe in, 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 a, in a long amount of time. Like if you look around the world today, we go, oh yeah, I see that. It's trouble. But Jesus has come. He's teaching us so that we may have peace. So there's a plot against Jesus's life and there's a plot against Lazarus. Now, if you think about Lazarus, he is the, the, uh, the gospel picture of the redeemed person. Someone who was dead in the grave for way longer than he should have. The main concern with raising him from the dead was that he was probably going to stink. Now, some of you stink anyway, but you know, like, I say as a joke. There are probably some wives being like, yes, see, he's talking to you today. You need to start using some deodorant. But like, he was so written off that they were like concerned that he was going to smell bad from the, the, because he'd been dead too long. And Jesus speaks to him and he calls him out by name and he says, come out of the grave just like he did with me and with you at salvation. When he spoke to us, I was dead in sin, far gone. I couldn't get away from this myself. And Jesus spoke to me and he spoke to you. He called us out. And so when we see something happening to Lazarus, we can go, oh, it's probably, it's probably me. Like I'm Lazarus in this story. I'm the one who was redeemed. I'm the one that has been saved, has been set free. All right, let's see what they're doing. John 
12 verse 1. If you've got great Bible literacy, you'll know where we're going already, but let's go for it. Six days before the Passover. See, I told you we're slow. This is where it slows right down. All of a sudden, we're six days before Passover. Passover wasn't Jesus's favorite holiday. Let's just put it this way. Jesus, therefore, that was a joke. Jesus therefore came to Bethany where Lazarus was, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. So they gave a dinner for him there. Martha served and Lazarus was one of those reclining with him at the table. Mary therefore took a pound of expensive ointment made from pure nard and anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair. The house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. Next slide. But Judas Iscariot, Everyone say, ooh, ooh. Just, we should just boo every time the word Judas comes up. But Judas Iscariot, one of his disciples, he who was about to betray him, spoiler alert, John, oh my gosh, said, why was this ointment not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? He said this, not because he cared about the poor, but because he was, a he was a thief and having charge of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put into it. Jesus said, leave her alone so that she may keep it for the day of my burial. For the poor you will always have with you, but you will not always have me. The end. So in the middle of these two plots, we'll just go to the last slide, which is the first few verses, that one, yeah. In the middle of these two plots, John is showing us where Jesus is. Because he, he's, he's about to tell us in a few chapters later that in this life we'll have trouble and Jesus has taught us how to have peace. But he's showing us right here in the middle of these two plots, these two uh, life-threatening situations, he's telling us where Jesus is. Jesus is with his people. He's not out fighting. He's not out, you know, like trying to overthrow the Roman Empire. He's not, he, he, he's not freaking out, praying in, in his closet, desperate. He is with his people. He's in communion. He, he, he's, he's, he's with his church. We see Mary, Martha, uh, and Lazarus in this picture. We, we know that there are others there because it just says that Lazarus, um, Lazarus was one of those reclining with him at the table. I can assume that the disciples are with him. Jesus is with his people. And so do you wanna, if, if you want to know where Jesus is when trouble comes, he's with you. He, he, he comes close. In this life, when there's trouble, Jesus is close. Jesus is the one who, who draws near to us in the middle of trouble, in the middle of turmoil, in the middle of chaos. Jesus comes close. But we don't just see that. We see where his people are. We see Mary, Martha and Lazarus just in, in this great picture of worship. We see Lazarus who was reclining at the table with Christ. We're about to see that there is a threat on his life. He is, he's in hot demand. He is hanging out with fugitive number one. He's hanging out with a guy in witness protection who was part of the Italian mafia. 
Jesus was definitely a mafia guy, I'm sure. It's, it's in one of the Gospels. He's hanging out with him. He's not stressed. He's not worried. He's sitting at the table with the Lord. In, in times of trouble, we need to be people who come and just sit with Jesus. Come, come and find con, ourselves content in His presence. We, we need to be people who can come and find ourselves sitting with Christ, not, not stressed about what's happening in the world around us, but just enjoying His closeness. And then we see Martha serving almost like she always does. We see this picture of her using her, her best gift to, to, to feed the house. She is looking after the people of God. She is, she is honoring Jesus with her gifts. And then we see Mary, who takes this alabaster jar of nard. She's a classic essential oils 2020 <laughs> Christian mom. She pulls out a kit. She's like, here's all the things I bought off eBay. Like, look at my essential oil kit. And she, she gets out her very best gift. Or we see there, Judas is so worried. He's like, dude, we could have sold this and, and it would have fed a lot of poor people. Like there's a lot of good that we could have done with this. Uh, and, and it kind of almost seems useless. Like she's just kind of laying out this gift. The 300 denarii basically would have been a year's wages. Like this gift was so valuable. It's probably something that she had as part of her dowry. This was her, not just a lot of money, but this was her future. And she is pouring it out on the feet of Jesus. Not, not in like a, you know, I'm really cool, like, hey, I'm doing this thing. But like she's, she would have been on her knees in front of Jesus. It says that she then gets her hair, unless she had hair down to her hips, she's like this. Wow. Made my glasses fall off. Obviously, she didn't wear glasses. The story wouldn't have worked if she had glasses. We'd, see, we'd read about her getting glasses tangled in her hair. <laughs> Although she was hanging out with Jesus, he probably just... Boop, healed. I wear glasses for fashion, so it's all right. Um, I can actually see fine. Um, I can see the same. But we see Mary just bent over in front of Jesus. And it says that, that the, the, the fragrance of her worship filled the room. It was potent. In fact, it, it talks about it, it preparing him for his burial like this thing's gonna stick to him for you know when you you put on like uh, some kind of cologne I almost said perfume but I don't put perfume on because I'm a, I'm a guy you put on cologne or perfume or something and it just lingers way too long or like you know you you cut garlic and then you forget to wash your hands and then you go out somewhere and you get out and you you like go to fix your glasses and you realize, oh no, my hands still smell like garlic. And then you're like real awkward about it for the rest of the night. Or you wash your hands and then get rid of the problem. But like this thing is going to stick around. It's going to have lasting impact. It has this significant kingdom. Uh, it's like the significant thing that's going to like, if it's for his burial, this means it's going to go through the cross. 
Like this thing is going to go with Jesus as he's stripped naked, as he's, as he's beaten and broken and like tortured and then placed on a cross. He's mocked. It, it, like this thing's going to stay with him because it's for his burial. She's pouring out this extravagant worship. See, Jesus shows us God's witness protection program. In this life, we will have trouble. Maybe you're facing something insurmountable in your finances today. Maybe, maybe you had a big, maybe last week sucked. Like, let's just be real. Maybe last, last week was awful. Maybe you're looking down the barrel of something that you just don't want to face. There's conversations, relationships you just don't want to deal with. You're, you're worried about how to pay this next bill, whatever it is. In the middle of this trouble, Jesus shows us how to find peace. It's in His presence. I, honestly, I really just have this one point today. This is it. I've, I've, this is all I've got. I, I just, I'm coming, like, this is all I have is that in God's presence is where we will find peace. In His presence, reclining at the table with Jesus, serving Jesus, pouring our best gift out to Jesus. This is where we f will find peace. This is where we will find peace. Peace. Now I've been thinking about. Um, I just been thinking about that picture of, of Mary. Extravagantly worshiping Christ. An extravagant worship. I read yesterday um, that Queen Victoria. Someone accidentally thought it was Elizabeth, but it was Queen Victoria um, remarked once to a priest that she would, she, would she would have loved Christ to return in her lifetime. And the priest said, oh, like, how come? Because, um, you know, most people deep down don't actually wish that because we have fear of eternity. That's another thing. That's a different message. Side note, the church eternally, like till this point of, in time, till the last like 100 years, has always prayed, come Lord Jesus, that in every situation, the best possible outcome would be the return of Christ. Now, I don't know what we ha has happened over the last 100 years, but we don't pray like that anymore. Anyway, she says to this priest, I I'd love, love it if Jesus returned in my lifetime. And the priest says, why? She said, because I, I, I'd, I'd quite like to cast my crown before him to take a crown off and place it at the feet of Jesus and I came today hoping to encourage somebody to cast your crown before Christ to actually give him your very best best gift to, to encourage you not to just become stagnant and and, and like boring in your Christian life, but to be extravagant. The worship team can come join me. Um, and we're just going to give you an opportunity to do this. Uh, we've got some flags and some shofars. And, no. <laughs> but when was the last time you worshipped Jesus in a way that costs you something? Like when was the last time your relationship with Jesus... Your, your worship of him actually cost you something. 
And I'm, I'm, I, don't, I don't want you to answer, because if you've got a good answer, I, I don't want to hear it. <laughs> I would actually like to, but... Jesus lays down his life for us, completely abandons his dignity. The king of heaven comes to earth in a manger, suffers the human life. And sometimes we just struggle to lift our hands and worship. We're like, oh, I might stink if I do that. I forgot to put deodorant on today. Uh, no, I, I'll just stand here. I don't need to sing. Let Mary be an example to us of devoted worship, of, of worship that is, I'm laying my life down at Jesus' feet. I'm laying everything down. I'm giving him everything. I'm giving him something that's going to cost me. I'm, I'm laying my life down, my plans, the, the hopes and dreams I have. It's all at your feet. Um, it's, I've been teaching um, on Thursday mornings at um, the school here for the um, high school students through the book of Colossians. Um, and this week, um, I read, we, it's been quite interesting. I found when you're just teaching through uh, a book of the Bible, you hit a lot of topics that maybe you don't talk about normally as a preacher. Um, and so I've kind of talked about everything. We've talked about hell, we've talked about marriage and sexuality, and just kind of like everything's come up. Um, turns out Paul, Paul addresses a lot of stuff, but there's this one line that I just like jumped out at me when I read it, and um, and this just shook me, um, and I felt a bit convicted by this. As he wrote, writes this here, he says this in Colossians two six. Therefore, as you received Christ the Lord, Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in Him. As you received Christ, walk in Him. Like when, when I received Jesus, when I, I came to Him, blubbering, <laughs> a mess, Jesus, I need you to save me. I need you to set me free. I, if, 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 it, if, it, if it's not for you, I, I'm nothing. I, I need you right now, Jesus. As I, as I was saved, so continue to walk in Him. In the, the complete surrender that we were saved, in the, man, I just, I, I, I can't do this on my own. I can't, I can't perform my way through this. So walk in Him. In that first love that you feel as a new, as a new believer where you're so excited and you feel like, You've just worn rose-colored glasses and the whole world has changed and all of a sudden you see everything in bright color. So walk in Him. Thanks so much for listening. We hope it was an encouragement to you. To contact us or to find out what's happening at our church, please check out our website, renewchurch.nz.